We want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs. And I'm TJ Darty. And we are the Reformed Informants. Man, looks like we're going old school with this episode. Yeah, man, this is uh, just dusting off the old biblical exposition pattern here. Just uh, uh, looking back, man, I, I didn't realize how many biblical exposition episodes we've actually done. Um, and they've been, and this is the first time, correct me if I'm wrong. No, it's not. It's the second time. I was going to say it was the first time we've done it apart. Uh, but in the past, when we've sat next to each other, Bibles open, no notes, and just walk through an episode, like those were some of the most edifying times, just hearing from the Word of God, learning from one another as we walk through, man, it's been, those are fun episodes to do. Yeah, so the normal for uh, the Reformed Informants podcast, if, you, if you're new and this is your first time listening, normally we're walking through what we call the RI systematic and we're building a systematic theology, and we did that during season one and on into season two, and we'll continue that in upcoming seasons. And then we seek to apply that theology. Uh, so, you know, we don't want to leave it with head knowledge only, uh, but we want to live what we teach and live what we believe, um, but also interjected uh, within that theological work. We like to work through biblical exposition, verse by verse. Um, uh, studies of the text. So, TJ, you want to remind us of some of those episodes that we've done in the past? Yeah, it was, <clears throat> it was funny looking back, and I had forgotten some of these just because we've been doing this for so long. But we we walked through um, a passage in Acts 17, uh, Paul uh, reasoning there with uh, with the Athe- with the Athenians. We have uh, we've gone through Genesis one. Uh, we've looked at Philippians four. I believe maybe we looked at Philippians four thirteen. Uh, in context, which we went all the way back to Acts 16 and then walked through Philippians as a whole. Uh, we've done Luke 15, um, those parables that, that Jesus tells. Uh, we've done Mark chapter 12, Render to God, which was a, an incredible episode. Really enjoyed that one. And then most recently, we did uh, Romans chapter 13, uh, looking at a biblical response to the government. And so we've done this. I think you've you said it well, Lance. Like this podcast is devoted to systematic theology. And biblical exposition is included in that. Um, I, I remember when I first started, um, when, when I went to the PhD program at Southwestern to do a PhD in systematic theology, uh, the, the instructor for the um, kind of the welcoming seminar essentially made the, the case, of course, he's a systematic the, theologian, so he was biased, but he, he made the case that a systematic theologian has to be able to do biblical theology and has to be able to do church history and has to be able to do biblical exposition in order to to full to fully form a, a good, cohesive, systematic theology. You have to be able to do all of it. And so when we do biblical exposition, we do it in order to um, of course, we want to understand what the text says, but that's how we inform our system, right? Like we're, we're not just coming to the text uh, with our system in place, but we're forming our system based on what the Bible says. Yeah, and I think that the text that we're going to walk through uh, for this episode, you know, magnifies exactly what you said, TJ, because as we look through Hebrews chapter 10, it, it is absolutely critical that you don't stop with Hebrews only, but that you have a well-rounded understanding of the book of Leviticus. Okay, mm. So when we build a systematic, you know, we're using all of scripture, but even in biblical exposition, 
um, getting down to the context and the terminology and just the pattern of working your way through verse by verse, especially with Hebrews 10, man, you're, you're going to have to go back to some Old Testament text to grab some tiny nuances and details that will help kind of flush out uh, what the author of Hebrews is ultimately painting uh, in, in, the, in this chapter. Yeah, I think that's good, and, and I think that's important too, because as we build, we're building our systematic now, we're talking over the course of the summer about Christology. We talked about the person of Christ, and now we begin uh, to have the conversation about the work of Christ. And so we've looked at his his deity, his humanity, the hypostatic union, his preexistence, his role within the Trinity. Uh, we've looked at uh, his, his role as the prophet, priest, and king. Uh, we've looked at his person, who, who he is. Uh, and then we, as we talked about prophets, prophet, priest, and king, we talked about what he came to do and, and his work. And so included in his work is his role as the superior sacrifice. And so um, one of the unique things, as we mentioned last week, I think this was the perfect place to go next. We mentioned, um, I guess it's been two weeks now, um, we mentioned that Jesus came as a prophet, a priest and a king all in one. Uh, he was the only person to fulfill all of those roles. But what was so unique about his priestly role is that as the one who administered the sacrifice, he himself was also the sacrifice. And so uh, today, as we walk through Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to examine how Jesus is uh, the sacrifice um, that he, you know, not just that he's the priest, but that he is the sacrifice as well. Now, Lance, We've, we've kind of set the table for this conversation, uh, but but I, I, I'm going to ask you this question. When we talk about doing biblical exposition for in order to inform our systematic, we, we could go to a number of texts, right? Like we could go all over the place to look at the person of Christ, uh, to look at the work of Christ. Why are we spending time looking at Hebrews chapter 10? Aside from the fact that you happen to have preached on this a couple of years ago, which you didn't even realize when we first uh, chose this text. So it's not like, oh, well, you've already done the legwork, so that'll be easy. Why did we choose Hebrews chapter 10 to have and to continue this discussion about Christology? Yeah, first, I would say just in general, looking at the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews uh, points to the supremacy of Christ or the preeminence of Christ. When, when you get down to it, the book of Hebrews is exalting Christ above angels, uh, above Moses, above Joshua, above all the priests, um, above the old covenant. Uh, really, the, the book of Hebrews is um, it, it's putting a magnifying glass on the person of Jesus, and it's really dissecting many, many components of his work um, that, that you had just mentioned um, previously. Uh, so today, uh, this is episode 52, and we've titled this The Superior Sacrifice of the New Covenant, and this is an exposition of Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 18. Now, I'm going to swing it back to you, TJ, and I want you to add on to what I said about uh, Hebrews generally um, magnifying uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, you 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 crushed it. You you beat me to the punch uh, because I wanted to say all of those things, and you said them so well. Um, Lance, who wrote the Book of Hebrews? I have no idea. 
Yeah, there's no scholarly <laughs> consensus on that. That's the right answer. Um, what are the what are the options that we have? Paul, some would say Luke. Mm-hmm. Others think maybe Apollos. Mm-hmm. Um, any, anybody else in the mix? I've heard, I've heard Barnabas, and I've heard even uh, Aquila. His name has been mentioned uh, by some modern scholars. Judas Iscariot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the the no. um, the reason why I ask is kind of twofold. One is is because we are often prone to, or I don't know if prone is the right word. We often pay attention. Like if it's Paul, we, we pull from other sources of Paul and say, hey, look, this is Paul being consistent here. Uh, he said the same thing to the Galatians, and he says the same things in Romans, and we can see kind of the consistency of thought. But with the author of Hebrews, there's a little bit of mystery to this, right? Like who who wrote uh, the book of Hebrews? But I think it's I think it's fitting that someone wrote the book of Hebrews and their name has either intentionally or unintentionally been lost through history because the point is to show the supremacy of Christ. And there's such an emphasis on the subject of this letter that the author of the letter is forgotten. I think that there's there's beautiful irony in that uh, because of what you mentioned, that Jesus comes to serve as the greater Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than all the... He, he's the great high priest. He, he's the great sacrifice. And that's where we're going in Hebrews chapter 10. And so uh, I, I think that's uh, worth mentioning. And, and secondly, I would say that Hebrews... presents a unique contribution to the biblical canon. Um, There's something significant about this book, um, not that's lacking from other books, but it's really highlighted here. And you mentioned it already, the connection to the Old Testament sacrifice. Uh, It really really clears the, the picture. It gives us a clear depiction of who Jesus is and what he does in the form of his sacrifice that we don't necessarily see is kind of implied in other places, but Hebrews really, really exposes that. And so I'm excited uh, to, to walk through this, to learn from you, to open the word together. Uh, but I do think that it, it's worth mentioning as we've done that this was not, we didn't just open our Bible and whatever page we landed on was what we chose, right? Like this was this was done on purpose because Hebrews is really going to bring out uh, Jesus as the superior sacrifice, as the uh, the ultimate fulfillment of the sacrificial system. And so that's where I want us to go. So other thoughts before we walk through this? No, uh, you just as you were kind of wrapping up your thought there, you know, you were tying this back to Christ in the building of our systematic. And I'm not for sure if I, I said it in the title, but this is Christology Part 7. So again, we're not just randomly pointing at a text and, and grabbing that, um, but we want to use Hebrews, specifically chapter 10, to continue building our uh, Christology to you know, add some more color and, and flavor yeah. to this, this particular category as we, as we work through the systematic. Now, I'm going to have to admit um, my jealousy um, and my desperate need for something that TJ has on his shelf back there you know, that I don't have, um, in, in, in terms of Hebrew commentaries. Look at this guy. If you're on YouTube, look at that fresh book. Oh my goodness. Why don't you, why don't you tell our listeners what you've got there? Yeah. Yeah. This is the, uh, seven volume, uh, exposition of Hebrews written by John Owen. And I'm glad you brought that up because, um, as I, crack that open for the first time because I haven't taught I haven't taught through the book of Hebrews formally I um, you know I've had plenty of Bible studies on, on a smaller uh, maybe 
uh, house church style, but I've never formally taught through the book of Hebrews. And so anyway, I, I pulled that out. And I was, um, of course, it's seven volumes, if that gives you an idea of the, the breadth of, of Owen's um, exposition. But in looking at these 18 verses, those verses uh, spanned over 80 pages in his commentary. And I bring that up just simply to say that we will not cover every detail in this uh, episode. So uh, the point of having this exposition is not to go through every jot and tittle in this particular text, although there is tremendous value in that, and that's something that you and I both do in our teaching. Um, but but to say that we are we are really just kind of getting a flyby version uh, and trying to understand the flow of thought in the text, how it points to the work of Christ, and the significance of that work, uh, especially as it relates to the Old Testament sacrifices. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I could dedicate the rest of my life to these uh, 18 verses and, and never be on Owen's level. I mean, goodness, goodness <laughs> I gracious. Think that, I think that goes for all of us. Uh, John Owen, if you're unfamiliar, uh, considered by many to be one of, one of, I'd say what top three English speaking, uh, theologians in, in the history of the church. I mean, he, he is, he is at the premier, like he's the top of the top of theologians when it comes to his contributions and his work. And he is a, a, an incredible gift to the church today. So, uh, if you've read any of his work, you know, uh, how significant he is and, uh, what a treasure it is to have his, his work recorded and saved for us. So, um, and how nice it looks on the shelf with that banner of truth public publishing. So just that's, that's just, that's my, the last thing I'll say about it. Yeah. You better not be letting dust collect on that, ma'am. And <laughs> when I no. make a visit to Kentucky, you're going to have a hole up there in your bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, um, those will be locked away. <laughs> okay. So biblical exposition, we're going to read the text, explain the text. And then at the end of this episode, we'll apply the text. Uh, so what we're going to do you can really break down these 18 verses into five different sections. Uh, I think that that will help us kind of run through this, you know, at, at a pace that that isn't dragging, but a pace that moves quickly, really just to get the overall theme and idea of what, what the author is trying to present here. Uh, so th those five sections are a better sacrifice was needed, a better sacrifice was provided, a better sacrifice was instituted, a better sacrifice was accepted, and a better sa sacrifice was predetermined. So those are really the five points uh, that we're going to try and make here as we walk through these. Can I ask a question? Yeah, this is this, this is my podcast, our podcast. <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you do that. Hey, longtime listener, first time caller, Lance. I got a question for you. When you say so. I, I love the way you've done this. You, you've uh, to our listeners, this is uh, Lance preached on this a couple of years ago. Uh, has provided us an outline uh, as we walk through this, and I'm really excited to to do this together. But you mention here a better sacrifice, so that's kind of the theme that we're going to see five times: a better sacrifice that's needed, provided, instituted, accepted, predetermined. What is what is a better sacrifice in comparison to? Is that maybe a good way to to launch into this conversation? Uh, maybe look at the first four verses. What do you what do you think? What do you mean when you say a better sacrifice? Yeah, that's good, man. I'm glad you asked because I was thinking about that today as I was, uh, you know, just kind of prepping my mind and heart for this episode. I'll I'll put it this way: This does not mean that Jesus's sacrifice which is the better sacrifice, that does not mean that the Old Testament sacrifices were bad 
sacrifices. Okay, I, I, I would put it that way. In other words, what God had orchestrated in the Old Testament in terms of the sacrificial system was sufficient for what he intended it to be. Yeah. Okay, so when we talk about Christ's better sacrifice than the animal sacrifices, we're not saying that God did it wrong in the Old Testament or that God gave a mediocre system of of sacrifices in the Old Testament, but we are saying that Christ's sacrifice is the ultimate fulfillment of those Old Testament sacrifices. In other words, as I just said, what Christ had determined to happen underneath the Old Testament sacrificial system was sufficient for exactly what he needed it to do. Mm. Um, But when we jump to the New Testament and Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient in terms of it being better in relation to actually taking away sins, which the Old Testament sacrificial system could and would never do. Add to that. Right. No, that's I, the only thing I would I would comment on that is exactly. I mean, I want to take exactly what you said and remind our listeners of our previous episode on prophet, priest, and king. So in the Old Testament, you had those offices. You had prophets. You had priests. You had kings. Jesus came to be the better one. He came to fulfill and to be the culmination of those of those offices. So there are no more, there's no more need for prophets. There's no more need for priests. There's no more need for a king because that's who Jesus is. Well, in the same way, the sacrificial system, there were sacrifices in the Old Testament. They were they were good. They had been instituted for a purpose, but that purpose was to point forward to Christ, who just like he came as the better prophet, he came as the better priest, he came as the better king, and now he's coming as the better sacrifice. And so well, I wanted to see, I wanted us to see that connection uh, that you made there. I'm so glad you, you you brought that up. I think Paul talks about that in Romans 6 and 7, like the law itself is not bad. The law is a good thing, but the purpose of the law is not to save. The purpose of the law is to reveal the need uh, for saving. And so uh, in the same way, these sacrifices was not, they were not designed to take away sin, but they were designed rather to show that sacrifice was needed, the shedding of blood was needed, that sin is serious. There's all of those things that are packed up in this. And the purpose was to point to the lamb who is to come, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, man, that's cold. Thanks for thanks for adding that. I'm glad I'm glad that you threw that into the guide here uh, to make sure that we're all on the same page as we work through this text. So let me read verses one through four, TJ. Then I'll, then I'll swing it back to you to make a couple comments. I'll make a couple. Then we'll, then we'll just keep moving right along here. Okay. So Hebrews ten one through four, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins." Okay, a couple of comments, and then I want you to, to clean this up and, and give us a feel. But these first four verses, as you've already pointed out, serve to show that a better sacrifice was needed. So in other words, what we see here in these verses is that the sacrificial system was not sufficient to take away sins. I mean, that's what verse 4 tells us. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So in the Old Testament, the sin of 
you know, the, the nation of Israel, when they sacrificed those animals, that did not take away their sin. That, that sin could only be covered and atoned for, which we will get to in future episodes talking about the atonement, but that could only be covered by the blood of Christ. So it's not that they were saved in the Old Testament by the blood of goats, by the blood of bulls. That That's not what that did. Uh, and, and we need to recognize, I think you, you hinted at this earlier, the book of Leviticus, the books of uh, of Leviticus and and Deuteronomy, when we see these these sacrifices laid out and and into uh, the rest of the Old Testament, when we see sacrifices, this is not atoning sacrifices in the sense of eternal covering of sin. Um, that's not what they were were designed to do. Uh, they were designed to to uh, indicate the seriousness of sin and to show that. Sin that someone had to die in order for sin to be covered. Uh, and, and he makes the point, uh, uh, could you explain, Lance, maybe in verse 1, he, he uses those words, shadow. Yeah, you got it, man. You know what you're doing here. But in verse 1, he talks about shadow and form. Uh, how, how, do those, how does verse 1 and, and those two terms kind of help us put these two things together? Yeah, well, you, you've kind of teed this up for me here. Uh, beautiful. That was my job. That was my job. Um, no, but the idea of shadow and form, you just think of us as human beings when we see our own shadow. Remember, our shadow is just an outline. It's just a picture. It's it's uh it's just an image, but it's not it's not the real you. It it isn't the real form. And that's what we have here with the law. That's what we have here with the old testament sacrifices. That's what we have with the bulls and goats. They they weren't exactly what God uh, was going to use to take away sins. Instead, they were used as a picture, as an illustration, as a shadow, as an image. Um, and, and, and TJ, you've, you just, uh, you've alluded to it really this entire episode that all of these things were ultimately building up to Christ. They, they were building up to Christ. They, they were a shadow. And so if you look at... Uh, Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, the verses that we just read. Uh, notice it says in verse 1, the sacrifices were plural. And then it says they continually offered them year by year. Verse 2, it tells us that this continued and it continued. Verse 3 tells us sacrifices plural. And it was a reminder of sins year by year. Verse 4, the blood of bulls and goats, plural. So this was a continual mm -hmm. act. This was a continual uh, sacrificial institution, you could say. It happened over and over and over. And the, the author of Hebrews, is he's setting us up by highlighting this. He, he's setting us up by highlighting how often they were having to perform sacrifices. And then the last comment I would make, and I want to send it back over to you, TJ, at the end of verse 2, it says that if these animal sacrifices would have actually atoned for sin, if they would have actually removed sin, then the human individual, the person, the sinner, would no longer have had consciousness of sins hmm. because they would have been completely removed. Right. But they were not removed, so every time they performed an animal sacrifice in the Old Testament, they were told to consistently think about their sin. Which is the opposite, as we're going to see, of 
what Jesus does. And that's the point of these four verses is to show that a better sacrifice was needed. And, and I think the last comment I would make doesn't necessarily come from this text, but we've talked about it before theologically, is that a holy, perfect, eternal God can only have his wrath satisfied by a holy, perfect, eternal being. So, in other words, God's the as the ever-present God, who's not bound by time, uh, a sin in a moment of time can't just be atoned for by the slaughtering of a goat. Like, that's not going to satisfy the wrath of a holy, eternal, perfect God. And the system, the law as a whole, and by the way, when it says law, that, that's not like the Ten Commandments in and of itself. It's That includes the Ten Commandments, but it includes the sacrifices. It, it includes um, all that God gave to the to the nation of Israel, uh, including the, the instructions for what to do when they violated the law. Uh, that's how you could be blameless in the Old Testament but not be sinless because you could follow the law, which gave instructions for what to do when you did sin. Um, and, and so God gave that law not as a way to take away sin because that would never do. It couldn't do. And that's exactly the point uh, there. So Lance, anything else before we move on to the next section? Yeah, I'm going to read this quote by Richard Phillips, and then I'm, I'm going to kick it back to you to take us into point number two. Richard Phillips says, the fact that nothing had been done to remove the guilt of the people made perfectly clear that need for a more real system of atonement. So Philip Phillips is saying that there, there was nothing there that could actually remove the guilt of the people. That, that's why they still had consciousness of sins, as we saw back in uh, 10.4. So he goes on to say, after all, these were dumb and unwilling animals that were being sacrificed for the willing volitional sins of spirit-bearing human beings. Mm. So again, animals could never take away sin because an animal can't be a substitute for a human. And again, this is slowly building towards that there needs to be a human as a sacrifice for humans, which, yeah. which we're going to get at. That's And that's why, man, I'm so pumped about this. That's why when we study Christology, we started with the person of Christ. And we looked at his humanity. We looked at his deity. We looked at who he was because now we'll see uh, as verses 5 to 9 demonstrate that exactly what you said. We've been set up for this to say, here comes the better sacrifice. And so verses 5 to 9 then uh, the author of Hebrews has already established that a better sacrifice was needed. And now in these next verses, uh, the author demonstrates that a better sacrifice has been provided. And so that's what you see in these verses. I'm going to read them. Verse five begins as therefore. So based on what he's just said, when he comes into the world, he says, talking about Christ, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Oh man, unpack just, that man. Uh, that, that, that's loaded. Yeah, this is this is so good. 
Yeah, like I like how, what you mentioned there in verse five. Therefore, so you know, bringing in the previous four verses, this is a continual thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, the author of Hebrews goes back to Psalm chapter forty. He goes back to Psalm chapter forty, and it, this is this is so profound. But he demonstrates from Psalm chapter forty that the plan of God wasn't that the animals would actually take away sin, but the plan of God had always been to prepare a body. The plan of God had always been that the sins of the world would, take, would be taken away through a body. And you can see that the author of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 40. He's doing that in chapter 10, verse 5. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired. All that text is saying that the animals, the burnt offerings, the sacrifices, and et cetera, et cetera, God ultimately, he ultimately did not desire those things in terms of forgiveness of sins. Now, of course, he was pleased with this holy law. He was pleased with the sacrificial system. He was pleased with providing Levitical priesthood, all of those things. But again, as we saw back in verse 1, they were all a shadow. God's ultimate desire, his ultimate plan, was that the sacrifice for sins would be found on the shoulders and the person of Jesus Christ. And we see that all the way back in Psalm chapter 40, which is, again, it's just amazing here how you see the harmony between the Old and the New Testament and specifically what the author of Hebrews is trying to argue and demonstrate here. Yeah, man, as you were talking about that, the first thing I thought of um, was even all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, right? Like Adam and Eve, they sin, God approaches them, gives... But it says that God fashioned uh, animal skins to cover them, right? Because they discovered that they were naked. They had, you know, fig leaves, and He He gives them animal skins. and And there's a, a sense in which there's been a, an animal sacrifice that's been done there. But even in doing that, their sin is not just washed away. It's not. It's not eternally accounted for. And that's the point. Uh, is that all of these sacrifices in the Old Testament, like, yes, they serve to show they have a purpose and God put them in. Like, it's not like, oh, these are terrible. Like you said, like this was this was pleasing to God, but this is not his ultimate desire because ultimately it was never going to take away sin from all the way from Genesis three, all the way to Malachi four. That was the whole point is you, you need to understand that these sacrifices are not satisfying God's wrath. And, and there's, there's a, a buildup, right? And there's the crescendo uh, and the heighten of that buildup was when Elijah comes in the form of John the Baptist and he prepares the way. It's like, this is, it's time. And here comes the, behold, John says in John 129, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Like this is the sacrifice and the sacrifice has been provided in the Son of God. Man, I mean, I th- <laughs> that John 1 text, you know, behold the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. You know, we could interject that 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 verse throughout our entire discussion because that's mm-hmm. ultimately, like you said, what it, what it's being built up to. But I'm glad you mentioned that, TJ, because I think it's worth noting that, you know, as we're walking through Hebrews chapter 10, this idea that there would be an ultimate sacrifice was already um, prevalent in the mind of people that were looking for the Messiah. So when John the Baptist says those words, it's uh, roughly A.D. 27-ish or so. Well, the book of Hebrews isn't written until probably... um, 
you know, you could say 40, 50 years later, you know. So what, what I want us to understand is that there, there was an understanding throughout the, the period of the Old Testament and that biblical narrative, and even during the time of John the Baptist and Jesus, that there would be a fulfillment for this sacrificial system. And that's why he uses those words. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like, here's the, here's the God-man. Here's mm. the Messiah. Here's this body that, that God desires. Uh, we're we're going to be done with this sacrificial system because Christ is here to ultimately die one time. Um, I, I just don't think we can miss that. The, the, the author of Hebrews isn't making this stuff up on the spot. In fact, this was understood even before the time of Jesus, but definitely during the time of Jesus. That, that's good. So let me make sure that I'm tracking and we're explaining this well. So in verse 5, uh, the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 40 and, and communicates exactly what you've pointed out, right? That there's sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared. So there's there there's... Uh, a desire, rather, for a person which has been provided in the person of Christ. Uh, verse 6, he, he repeats the same thing. And then verse 7, he says, Behold, I have come to do your will. So in other words, Jesus is saying, it's me, right? I am the sacrifice that has been provided. And when the author of Hebrews, uh, and of course, it, verse 7 uh, finishes, as it is written in the book of the scroll, uh, the scroll of the book, speaking, he's fulfilling all the prophecies that have come uh, before. He He's the one who's to come. And then the author of Hebrews comments and says, when he makes this observation, when Jesus makes this statement, uh, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. In other words, what he's saying is, now the Old Testament sacrificial system has been abolished because the new covenant has been instituted in the sacrificial uh, work of Christ himself. Fair to say? No, oh, yeah, that's that's okay. ab that's absolute gold. That's absolute gold, um, and that's why the gospel the, the gospel records record the temple veil being torn top to bottom. Right. Um, the, the, this idea that this sacrificial death truly did atone for sin. It truly did remove sin. It truly did remove guilt. All, all in the all in the the person of Jesus. The, the God man. And that's why we tried to establish his, his person um, really from the outset of this Christology series, because this, this sacrifice only works. Um, this substitutionary sacrifice only works if, if Jesus is indeed the God man. Right. And that's why it's important to have that foundation. That's and, exactly anything right. you want to add to those verses before we move on here to this third section? No man, that's I think that's sufficient uh, to to show that pun intended. Uh, <laughs> let, let let me let me read verse ten because uh, I want you to I want you to to really highlight this and, and unpack and explain what you mean when you say that <laughs> verse ten uh, gives us the third major section, which is to say that a better sacrifice has been instituted. So we've seen the need for one. Uh, a, a better sacrifice was needed. A better sacrifice has been provided. And now in verse 10, a better sacrifice was instituted. So verse 10 says, and by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Oh what, my goodness. Explain that, that verse because it's, there's, there's weight to it. There's significance to it. Explain that to us. Yeah, well, again, this is God's predetermined plan. It's by this will. Um, th this wasn't something that randomly just happened in the first century. 
Um, I, I think at least to start here, when we look at this verse, uh, that we understand that that word there, sanctified through the offering of the body here in, in context, uh, th- this is talking about salvation. So we're not talking about progressive sanctification. What, what this is saying is that, that uh, salvation is in the, the person of Jesus Christ, the, the sacrifice that he offered on the cross uh, once for all. And I think it's important to highlight here, it's not an animal sacrifice, but it's a human body. It's not an imperfect priestly body that's performing the sacrifice, because remember, they were sinners. All the Mm -hmm. priests in the Old Testament died. Why did they die? Well, because they were sinners. So it's not an imperfect priestly body that's making the sacrifice, but it's a perfect godly body, the God-man. Remember, God took on human flesh, Philippians 2. Notice also, it's not a repeated sacrifice. That's why I highlighted that in verses 1 through 4, and that's why Hebrews 10 is full of references that talk about continual Old Testament sacrifices. But it wasn't multiple sacrifices by Jesus. It was one sacrifice. It was one sacrifice. And then, of course, the timetable. The Old Testament sacrifices were temporary They were temporary in time. They were temporary in nature. Uh, There was no way for an eternal value to be uh, spread across um, eternity. Um, But with Jesus Christ, since he is an eternal being, he has the ability to save sins. He has the ability, the ability rather, uh, to transcend time um, with his with his sacrifice. Because remember, look, he not only is Jesus sacrifice saving people after the cross, but Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is saving people before the cross. That's right. Right? You, you want to you talk about that a little more, TJ? Well, yeah. That's I, not I, on the guide, so this is all for free coming from uh, TJ. Just right. So you know. Well, this is, uh, when you were talking about that, I think you, you're highlighting exactly what the author of Hebrews is highlighting, and that is the contrast, right, between the old system and who Jesus is, who has instituted a better sacrifice. And when you you think about okay, well, what are those differences? Well, you you've you've listed them for us. Like it, it, right? Like it's not an animal, it's human. It's not uh the imperfect priest, it's the the perfect priest. It's not repeated, it, it's one and it's not temporary, but it's eternal. And so what you see um in in this sacrifice of Christ is a complete uh, upgrade a complete uh, um, where the first system fell short and it fell short on purpose by design, right? Like that was God's point. It fell short in such a way that it highlights the perfection of the better sacrifice. So by looking at the person of, of Jesus in this sacrifice, by looking at the work of Jesus in this sacrifice, we now look back at the other one and say, Wow, that was wildly insufficient. Um, but you, you maybe didn't understand that until the perfection of Jesus was highlighted, and so, so you see this contrast between the two, and, and you see the shortcoming of the first uh, sacrifice, the first system of sacrifices, in order to highlight the perfection of the new and better sacrifice. And so, I think that that's so significant, especially as you mentioned, Lance, about the eternality, because. Abraham was saved the exact same way that you and I were saved, and we are saved the exact same way that our future progeny will be saved 
if the Lord tarries. Uh, and that's by faith in the work and person of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so uh, his righteousness is imputed to all believers. The sin of all believers is imputed to him on the cross. That salvific gospel message transcends time in the sense that all sinners are saved in the same way by the same sacrifice. Um, it, what, what else, man? What, what else yeah. you want to add to that? Yeah, I would, you know, so here in Hebrews 10, we're looking specifically at Jesus's sacrifice. Okay, so we're looking at that particular event and really the theological implications that come out of that. That's what's drawn out here in Hebrews 10. But what you were just explaining from uh, Romans chapter 4 is really the, the, the full scope of the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what these, these transactions where the sin of human beings is imputed to Christ and then his, his righteousness is imputed to the repentant sinner. You know, right. I mean, all of these things are going hand in hand here. And again, it's another argument for the totality of Scripture. Hey, let's not just rest on Hebrews 10, yeah. but let's rest on all of Scripture to develop. You know, that's why we're developing a systematic, man. That's that's right. What, what we're doing on the podcast. That's exactly um, right. And that's why systematic is so valuable when you have those understandings in place. And then the puzzle pieces, man, they just they just lock together with with such clarity whenever you have those pieces all together and the picture becomes so much more clear. Um, Absolutely. I appreciate you saying that. So uh next next section, verse four or uh, section four, take us through that one. Yeah, so we've seen a better sacrifice was needed, one was provided, one was instituted, and then point number four here is a better sacrifice was accepted. Okay, so we've talked about the sacrificial death of Christ. Well, did God actually accept it? You know, I think that's a great question to ask the text. Well, verses 11 through 14 give us that answer. I'm going to read it, TJ, then I'm going to swing it back to you. Okay. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Gosh, that... that this aspect of the sacrifice the acceptance of the sacrifice by the father i think is one of the more overlooked aspects of trinitarian involvement in salvation i i think it's it's just so easy to gloss over uh i, I mentioned this in in philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 you have this uh condescension of christ and he comes and he he he, he humbles himself even to the point of death even death on a cross and then verse 9 says therefore God has highly exalted him. Well, implied in the between verses eight and nine is that the sacrifice was accepted. And that's so significant. And we see that the author of Hebrews really highlights that. I just want to point out a couple of things. And Lance, I want you to, to fill in the gaps. Uh, the first thing that stands out is verses 11 and 12. Again, a contrast that's, that's set up. So verse 11, every priest, so this is speaking of the old system. Every priest stands, stands, daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which, as he says, are ineffective and can never take away sin. So there's your old system. The the priest stands and repeats 
over and over and over again, constantly attempting to make intercession for the people. That's what the priests did. And, and it's just, it's never ending because the sacrifices were never satisfying. But when you get to verse 12, the contrast is set up. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, again, that's that disparity that you've highlighted for us. He sat down at the right hand of God. That that phrase, sat down, is meant to contrast with verse 11 when it says that the priest stands daily. So Jesus, when he sat down, something's different. Something different has happened. And that is that the wrath of God has been satisfied and the sacrifice of the lamb has been accepted by the Father. Uh, I too too much to to really wrap my mind around, man. You you take it. I need a second. Yeah, just to piggyback off of what you said there, TJ. The 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 contrast that is set up here is, is just staggering. Uh, I love how in verse twelve it says one sacrifice, referring mm-hmm. to Jesus' death. Verse fourteen, one offering, referring to Jesus' sacrifice and and, and his death. I mean. It just couldn't be more clear what the author is trying to convey or his point that he's trying to get across. Christ died one time. Christ died once. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't die daily. Uh, he doesn't resurrect, live again, die again, and go through the whole process again. On the six hours on the cross, because he's an eternal being, the God-man, he was able to take the wrath of God during those hours and bring forgiveness of sins, bring forgiveness of sins for all time in his body one time, just, just one time, you know, and, uh, again, again, I just, I, I, I can't get over the depth that we, we could plummet here in, yeah. in, in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, but, but to add to that, and I think we can move on to the next point just due to, uh, due to time here, the author of Hebrews to make his point, and he does this all throughout the book of Hebrews, by the way, he goes back to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He goes back to Psalm 110 uh, to make his point. In other words, what I'd like to highlight here before we move on, again, this wasn't a random act by Christ. This wasn't a random um, event by God. Uh, he, he didn't see man's sin and then decide, oh my goodness, Oh wait, wait a minute here. Right. The animal sacrifices in the Old Testament priests—they didn't get it done. What am I going to do? Oh, I need mm-hmm. to send Jesus Christ. You know, uh, I don't need to go down the road to explain that because I think we get the point. The point is that this is the predetermined plan of God for it to be this way, and that's yeah. why the author of Hebrews goes back to Psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm. I think it's seven verses. Psalm 110. Okay, uh, listeners, I would just encourage you to go back to that psalm and read those seven verses. Yeah, um, I, I I love that you, you've you pointed that out, that there's a predetermined, this is predetermined. I, I had this conversation with a church member recently. We've, we've hinted at it before. We've talked about it some. We'll talk about it more. But this was the plan. This was the entire plan. Um, and and it's, it's highlighted, it's accentuated here in the book of Hebrews because the Old Testament sacrifices were designed to point 
forward to Christ. I, I love that you said this. It was not a mistake. It was not a. It, it was not insufficient because God, you know, rushed it and threw it out there before it went through testing. And oh no, now I've got to fix it. Like it wasn't phase one. Like the purpose was to highlight the Son of God because if Jesus came on the scene in, G- in Genesis three, there would be so much of the gospel that's missed. We, we would miss so much of the patience and the forbearance and the mercy and the grace and the and, and the sovereignty and and um, uh, the the glory of God if Jesus just walked onto the scene in the Garden of Eden and fixed everything immediately. Like, like we would miss it. And the purpose uh, of doing it the way that God did it is to highlight uh, and to to place prominence on the son and to uh, exalt his own name and to uh, bring his name more glory uh, to be ascribed to him. And so so I think that that's such an important aspect uh, that, that's often overlooked. And so that's that's the point here. Uh, I'm glad you brought that out. Yeah. And, and that brings us into point number five. And this is the last point we'll go through uh, for verses 15 through 18. But a better sacrifice was predetermined. I'll read these verses, TJ, then you can make some comments. I'll make a couple and then we'll we'll roll into the application. Uh, so verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind, I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Yeah, um, this is a quotation, what, Jeremiah 31, right? Jeremiah 31. Yeah. 31, 33. Yeah, verse 33 and 34. Um, Yeah, so this statement here, as you've highlighted, this was not impulsively carried out, right? This has been predetermined. This was prophesied about. Uh, Jeremiah tells us this uh, centuries before Christ walks onto this earth and says that the Holy Spirit testifies um, that, after this happens, uh, the the covenant will be made uh, when when the Lord says, "I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind. I will write them." And then He says, "And their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more." I love that, especially when contrasted with what we have previously observed that the priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly. Right, like the sacrifices haven't been atoned for; they haven't been covered. Uh, they haven't been covering sin uh, the way that we would expect them to. But God says, "Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That they are are eternally removed. Uh, there's no more remembrance of sins." Um, I, I, I've heard the the reference, the joke before about um, someone asking God what the worst sin he ever committed was, and God says, "I don't remember." Like it's just he doesn't he doesn't remember them because he doesn't see us. He sees the the positional righteousness of his son. Um, but but Lance, what am I what am I missing here? What what, what else can we draw out of these verses? No, I don't think you're missing anything, dude. But I I, I would say that I, I I love what the author does here, and it, it's subtle. Um, you know, it's, it's somewhat, you know, he kind of does this low key, but he, he brings in the Holy spirit as a, as a witness to what he's arguing. 
He brings the Holy Spirit into the equation here. So he's been putting together this defense from, and we've been talking about it all episode. So I'm not going to rehash that. But he says, verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also testifies. Mm. And then he goes to the Old Testament. And then he says at the end of verse 16, he then says, referring to the Holy Spirit. So he's using the authority of the Old Testament to make his point crystal clear. Your sins are wiped out. Your sins are wiped clean. Your lawless deeds, they are done. They are gone. They have been blotted out. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of Jesus' sacrifice. His sacrifice actually worked. Yeah, It, it actually worked. Yeah. It did what it said it was going to do. And he's stamping the Holy Spirit's authority on the message that he's delivering here. It's just so profound. Your, your sins are forgiven. I mean, this is the, this is the gospel. That's, That's why right. we don't worship an animal, but we worship Christ because That's he right. actually did atone for sins. That's exactly right. So, um, Lance, when we do biblical exposition, you and I approach it the same way. We read it. We explain it, which I think we've adequately done. I think we've attempted to do that, though much more certainly could be said. I think we've, we've pulled the meaning of the text out. So now let's talk very briefly about application. We can even use this as part of our initiative if you'd like. Uh, but application, what do we what do we pull away from this text uh, for us to chew on as believers? And how, because when when we talk about all this stuff, the two things come to mind immediately for me. Number one, theology matters, right? Like like this stuff that we're discussing is not. And I'm really I'm really passionate about this and trying to communicate this to my church family that this is not for high minded theologians that are bored. Right, like this is not like, hey, th- like this is as as practical as it gets for believers. Uh, this is the gospel. This is what we hold to. So our theology matters, and there's depth here. Uh, and as we plummet those depths, we are richly blessed by it. But then, secondly, I would just speak towards the sufficiency of that sacrifice. I, I think that that's what makes the supremacy of Jesus so acute. Here is that the sacrifice was sufficient once for all, uh, which means that I no longer uh, need to do anything in and of myself in order to attain right standing with God. There, there's nothing else to be done. Nothing can be added to it. Uh, I am sufficiently standing before the throne of the Almighty with the positional righteousness of Jesus Christ because His sacrifice works because it is sufficient and um, and that is freeing uh, for a believer to to hold on to yeah I like what you said there about the the importance of theology and that uh theology matters and that it's not just for the academic world but it, it's for the everyday Christian who loves Jesus the mm. theology does matter and I remember back when I preached uh, this text, that one of the first application points that came to mind when I was, you know, kind of wading through what to discuss here uh, at this part in this part of the sermon was the category bibliology. Bibliology, which we did on, you know, our podcast uh, last year, but but I bring that up here because of the amount of times that the author of Hebrews goes back to the Old Testament. Mm. He, he is confident in the Old Testament Word of God. He knows that it is sufficient. He knows and understands that it's authoritative. He knows that it's God's Word, and he's using it to build his argument or to build his case. 
So I think there's even application in that area of Good. theology. And secondly, uh, as kind of a sub point to that, I, 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 I would, uh, I would argue that our English translations have faithfully translated the original texts into the English language. And, and what I mean by that and what, why I was struck by that is because all throughout chapter 10, specifically the verses that we looked at, it talks about repeated sacrifices for sins. It talks about uh, multiple animal sacrifices, plural, and offerings, plural. And, and our English translation retains an accuracy of those Old Testament texts, the Old Testament narrative. But then when you get to Christ, it demonstrates his one sacrifice. So, you know, if our translations were weak and they were muddy and they weren't clear, there could be some confusion about this text and the amount of sacrifices or, you know, is is there a misunderstanding here? Right. But, but there's not because our English translations get this right. Which, which is why, like you would say then, yeah, there's, there's benefits in knowing the original languages. You and I have studied them. We continue to study them. They're important. But that does not mean that somebody can't open their Bible and understand yep. what's, what's being said, right? And, and, and I think that's such a good word, such a good reminder that, that you and I are not, we, we, don't, we haven't been like ordained as these great biblical expositors. Like, like you and I don't have any special knowledge that's been given to us. We're just opening the Bible. And so if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you can do the exact same thing. And, and you, can, you can open up the Word, and, and I hope you do. I hope you test what we say, and you open your Bible and, and look at this passage. Uh, and I think, that, man, that's such a sobering and uh, an encouraging reminder. I'm, I'm glad you drew that out. Um, any, anything else you want to say? Any, any other comments uh, for, for this episode? No, that's good. Yeah, I mean, the initiative, you know, as always, if you're new again to the podcast, the initiative is where we really try and apply what we've talked about because we don't want it to be just head knowledge. Right. And and so I think, yeah, the bibliology component that I mentioned could fall under the initiative. You know, I think it's just a great reminder that, you know, our sins have been forgiven. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, the, it, it's the beauty of the gospel. And when we see that here in Hebrews 10. Yeah, and... um you know, I love you, you. You put a comment here on the guide not to take sin lightly. Uh, I think that's another really, really good point to to pull out of this text, right? That uh, the Son of God was sacrificed uh, that went to the cross. That's significant. That's a big deal. Let's not treat sin as trivial, uh, as something that's not not serious. It is serious. Uh, we need to be aware of that because it it matters. Um, so. Um, yeah, that's such a good reminder for all of us, man. I appreciate you. This has been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy, uh, walking through the text of scripture, uh, with you and learn a lot. Uh, if you're, if you're new to the podcast, uh, you can subscribe, uh, on iTunes. You can, you can follow us on YouTube, subscribe there. Uh, you can like us on Facebook at reform informants. You can uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at our underscore informants. And you can go to our website at www.themagistiesmen.com slash reformed informants. And there you can find links to all of our social media platforms, previous episodes, and new reformed informants gear at our shop. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com. 